Thursday, May 12th, 2022. This is the Hermetic Hour, and I'm your host, Pope Runyon. And tonight we continue with a dramatic reading of my magical adventure novel, The Tomb of Prester John, reading chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now, this sequence is one of the most exciting and revealing episodes in the story. We follow Sophie and Doc in their exploration of the eerie catacombs under the biblical Christian church of Theatria in Akazar, Turkey. From the museum where they meet graduate anthropology student Iona Erzan, who guides them to the catacombs, they find the tomb of Theotis, Jezebel's bishop, and Sophie is entranced by his mummified body. They find a huge gallery with a skylight that floods the vault with moonlight. Doc sets up the lamp of truth, and Sophie draws down the moon and performs her sacred dance in the nude with the lamp of truth illuminating the chakras tattooed on her body. At the climax of her dance, she collapses in Doc's arms, and they hear applause from Khalil Ibn Iblis and his terrorists who have been watching the performance. They are holding Iona Iona Erzan as a hostage. But before they can capture Doc and Sophie, a flashbang grenade announces the arrival of Colonel Renda and Turkish Special Forces, repelling down through the skylight. Using Iona Erzan as a hostage shield, Khalil and his men escape. But Renda says, well, we fed her a cookie and they won't get far. Unfortunately, Khalil detects the cookie and Iona is murdered. Doc and Sophie return to their hotel to spend the rest of the night under guard, where Doc has to hypnotize her to recover the secrets she learned from channeling Jezebel. They learn the real secret of Christ's crucifixion, and Doc discovers the secret of the lamp of truth, So join us for high adventure and some amazing revelations. Now, of course, we've read chapter 5 before, but we've got to do this to catch up continuity. Otherwise, new new listeners would have no idea what's going on. So so we'll we'll start with chapter 5 again. Chapter 5, in Theatria. And this is the preliminary poetry. They say the lion and the lizard keep the courts where Yamshid gloried and drank deep, and Baram, that great hunter, the wild ass stamps o'er his head, but he lies fast asleep, Omar Khayyam. Late that afternoon, they were driving by the ruins of the ancient white castle from which the Etria got its name, now silhouetted against the golden orb of the dying sun, framed with clouds, streaked with glowing purple and red. That sunset is symbolic of the conflict between the Phoenician and Turkish dyers in Theatria, Sophie observed. The Phoenician royal purple uh, from the Murex shell versus the Turkish red from the matter root, she explained. I wish I could stay with you and learn more about this, Colonel Renda said, but I'll have to leave you here. I'm going to, to anchor it. Uh, get to the bottom of this release of, of, of even Iblis. Then I'll launch a manhunt for him on a charge that will stick regardless of who he knows. Thanks, Nuri. Keep him off our backstops in. As they pulled up to the hotel, Colonel Renda left them a parting gift. 
The Peyton Hotel's not a bed and breakfast, Colonel Rendis said. I suggest you take some of our baklava on a bottle of champagne for tomorrow morning, he said as they pulled up in front of the hotel. Their rooms in the Peyton Hotel in Akazar offered a balcony view of the ruins of ancient Piatria. No room service, but they did have coffee. What do you expect for $22 a night, Sophie commented. They opened the champagne and drank, and drank to Jezebel, refrigerating the bottle in the pastry in the morning. Now give me a briefing on this operation tomorrow. I want the whole story. Was Mary Magdalene in the Nurex die business? Of course, Sophie said. She was Jezebel. No wonder Jesus married her, Doc replied. She bankrolled his church. Oh, don't make it sound so shoddy. Remember Mohammed's wife, Fatima, was a camel merchant, and she financed Islam. Well, I thought Mary was a woman crowned, crowned with a son in, in Revelation, Doc said. Well, she was that, too. Revelation is not sequential, Sophie replied. Peace be upon them all, Doc added. Let's take it from the top, Sarah, he promised her. Let's get comfortable first, she suggested, beginning a leisurely strip tease, culminating in the framing of her body art masterpiece in a black silk kimono without a sash. She curled up on one of the twin beds. Doc stripped through his skivvies, sat on the other bed, and began his pipe-loading ritual. See you on, my lady, he said. It has reached me, your auspicious king, that the ancient Anatolian city of Theatria was a commercial center of cloth dyeing manufacture and export in the first century of the Christian era. There were two rival establishments in this trade. The Phoenicians, who used their traditional purple dye from the Nurex shell, and the Anatolians, who employed the madder root for a more, more reddish dye. Both are referred to in Revelation, the woman arrayed in purple and scarlet, Revelation chapter 17, 4. The dye workers all belonged to a trade guild whose patron goddess was Venus, the Roman version of Astarte, and an Anatolian patron sun god, Tyrimos. The two rival companies were owned by wealthy widows, who were both officers in the dye workers guild and in the new Christian church. The Phoenician widow was Mary Magdalene, who was called Jezebel in Revelation, and a spirit-possessed damsel in the book of Acts, chapter 16, 14, 18. Uh, the Anatolian widow was Lydia, also mentioned in the book of Acts, Mary's rival and a convert to Christianity under the influence of Paul of Tarsus. She had a commercial outlet and a home in Philippi across the Aegean Sea in Macedonia. Everything I have imparted thus far can be confirmed from research, and from this point onward, I must rely on my channeling of Mary herself, which I intend to resume with your help in the catacombs tomorrow evening. As if offering a preview of coming attractions, Sophie rolled toward Doc and presented a vision of the hermetic caduceus from Luna to Saturn before veiling her temple with the black silk kimono and continuing. The proctor of the church in Diatria was Theodosius a Phoenician Gnostic Christian and an early follower of Paul of Tarsus, who had switched his Christian allegiance to Mary Magdalene. Paul had exerted a strong early influence on Theodos, but when the native of Tyre met the Phoenician widow of the Christ and heard his teachings from her own lips, he realized that women had souls and incorporated the pagan sacred marriage into his Gnostic version of Christianity. 
which he passed on to his successor, Valentinius. Theodos and Mary together tried to convince Paul, but the former Pharisee despised women as the origin of sin and considered them soulless appendages of the male species. Paul refused to accept Mary as the widow of the Savior and reminded Theodos that even if Magdalene had been the master's concubine, she had still been possessed by demons and could not be trusted. Theodos reminded Paul that he had never with Christ in the flesh or heard his, heard his teachings and that Mary had, re had received them firsthand. He and Mary would return to Theatria and preach the sacred marriage as the true sacrament of Christianity. Jezebel, Paul named her. You would preach fornication, adultery, and blasphemy. He turned to Lady Lydia, Mary's business rival in Theatria, whom Paul had recently baptized a Christian. Surely you do not condone this, dear sister. Lydia had turned loving eyes on Paul. We will recover the idol of the Sidonian abomination from the guild hall, my lord. Only fish will be served at banquets, and no licentious behavior will be permitted. Theotis and Mary agreed on removing the idols from the guild hall, but only if both images were disposed. They had previously justified keeping Venus and Tyremos as counterparts of Christ and Mary. Paul had said that the statue of Tyremos could be baptized to represent the Christ, but that the abomination of the Sidonians had to go. In deference to Mary, Theodius refused. You will read of the Lord's displeasure in this, I promise you, Paul declared. You have written in my husband's name for too long, Paul of Tarsus, Mary replied. It is time for his gospel, his true gospel, to be preached and written, and we shall teach and write it. And even as it is re was revealed unto us by the Lord himself, before and after his untimely passing, you would make a morbid, bloody sacrament of his death where he intended us to make a sweet and loving celebration of the uniting of the two souls in marriage, even as I was reunited with him at the wedding in Cana. We have heard a similar story from Simon Magus about the harlot he found in the Tyrian brothel. He called her the fallen thought of God, Paul muttered. You are from Tyre, aren't you, Mary, he asked. Mary was disturbed by this. Theotis put a protective arm around her. He answered for her, I am from Tyre. Mary is from Magdala in Galilee, but she is of the line of King Hiram of Tyre from the days of King Solomon. Was she ever called Helen or the fallen thought of God? Paul's expression was predatory. Mary looked into Theotis's eyes with an uneasy expression. Do I have to answer these questions, she asked. Well, he is our bishop, Theotis reminded her. I have been called the fallen thought of God, she said. Did you know Simon Magus, Paul asked? We both knew him, she answered. You and Theotis, Paul questioned. She shook her head, myself and the Lord Jesus. Theotis added, I know Simon through his book, The Great Announcement. Paul fixed Theotis with a vicious stare. Who gave you a copy of that rubbish, Paul demanded. I did, your grace, Mary admitted. I thought it was beautiful. Jezebel, Paul muttered, giving Mary an even more vicious look. And that ends my recollections, O auspicious king, Sophie concluded with tears welling in her eyes. I don't know who I am. I don't know who I was, she cried, like a lost soul. 
Doc crossed over to her bed and gathered her in his arms. Don't get confused, Sophie. Remember, you told me that Khalil had you channeling Simon, Simon's Helen. You're just getting your archetypes mixed up, Doc explained. Sophie wasn't buying Doc's Jungian platitudes. She wanted Freudian lechery. Paul was right. Khalil was right. Crowley was right. I'm a whore. The sacred marriage is an orgy. And I am what I am. You're not Popeye, Doc declared. Why would I be Popeye, she asked. Because he says I am what I am and that's all that I am. And they started laughing, sputtering Popeye jokes until they were almost hysterical. She wrapped her legs around him and declared, He's gone to the finish, because he eats his spinach. He's Popeye the Sailor Man, Doc finished. Sophie kissed him, and, and he responded. She hugged him close and whispered in his ear, Thanks for not taking me too seriously. We needed a good laugh. She snuggled against him and whispered again, Do you know the secret of the ninth gate? I thought it was the engraving of the woman on the seven-headed on the seven-headed dragon in Roberto's book, Doc said. She sat back on her haunches and arched her back, facing him, looking down at him from between the uplifted mounds of her breasts. It's the Enneagram, see? You mean the Enneagon, Doc corrected, looking at the nine-pointed star tattooed in purple ink on her moon's venereus. Look again. It's the Enneagram. Nine points open at the bottom, the ninth gate, she declared. Doc realized that there was no point in putting her off any longer. Let's finish that champagne tonight, he suggested. An hour later, they were both in bed under the sheet smoking her cigarettes in the American after-sex ritual. Sophie was crying again. What's the matter now, Doc asked. I am what I am, and it's not funny, she sniffled, and the sacred marriage is what it is. Well, I was strong as a finish, Doc said. Oh, stop it, she snapped at him. I'm being serious. What about, about what? Gnostic Christianity? Yes. How much of Valentinius is Simon, and how much of Mary's gospel is Simon, and how much of Mary Magdalene is Simon's Helen? Now you stop it, Doc snapped at her. We can play this game all night. Anthropological scrabble. Mary has seven powers. Simon has seven powers. Santeria has seven powers. Ori astrology has seven planets, so does Kabbalah, and so does Jesus, for Christ's sake. The sacred marriage was supposed to unite soulmates, she said, but instead it perpetuates ancient pagan temple prostitution. Well, I agree with you there, Doc said, but in ancient times, the temple prostitute represented the goddess. That was what Valentinius used as his model. And remember, Simon used the Garden of Eden as a macrocosmic model for the female womb. But you do believe that marriage unites and completes the divided soul, don't you, Doc? She asked. Well, ideally it should, but in reality, most marriages are not undertaken for the kind of love that unites two halves of the same soul. Valentinius knew that only God and man shared the creative process, and that only in unison could a man and a woman emulate God. Hence the sacred marriage and the union of souls. But like so many other beautiful ideas in early Christianity, it was corrupted and perverted. Do you think we can ever sanctify it again? Doc kissed her nose. Let's sleep on it, he suggested. And not in chapter 5. Chapter 6. In the catacombs, there was a door to which I found no key. 
There was a veil past which I could not see. Some little talk a while of me and thee, and then no more of thee and me, Omar Khayyam. Next morning, over a breakfast of coffee and leftover baklava, Sophie outlined today's activities. We could walk to the museum through the old Roman Forum. The building is a junior high school, was a junior high school before it became a museum in 2012. Primarily archaeology. They have a lot of material from the Roman period. Our contact is Iona Erzan. She's a grad student from Istanbul Tech, interning here at the Akazar Museum. I've been corresponding with her. She's a very bright scholarship student. She's from an Armenian family of secret Christians. She can get us into the catacombs under the old church. She's expecting us to meet her at the museum at 10 this morning. So bring everything we need in your backpack. She had slept late and was wearing only her sashless black kimono. Doc was already dressed for, for exploring the catacombs. Khaki shirt and cargo pants, desert boots, bush jacket, and a boonie hat. His 9mm browning was nestled in the silver rig beneath his left armpit. He lifted a well-stuffed rucksack from under the table. I'm bringing everything, whether we need it or not. We can't leave anything in the room for Khalil is on the loose, Doc said. Even clothes, poisoning garments is the latest terrorist type. Sophie looked at her watch. It's a 10-minute walk from here to the museum. We better get going. I'll get dressed. Uh, did you pack my field gear or laid out on your bed, Doc? He said. I couldn't find your underwear. Well, you know I never wear underwear, she said in a husky voice as she lifted the kimono off her shoulders and let it drop. She turned her back to him. Khalil wanted me to have the demons of the cliff off tattooed down my spine from belly all at the nape of my neck down to Lilith. Maybe I should have. What do you think? She asked. Doc ran his forefinger down her spine from her neck to the small of her back, and she purred like a kitten. He slapped her on the buttock. Use that bad girl energy to get dressed. We're running late. Fifteen minutes later, they were walking through the old Roman forum with cameras hanging around their necks to make them look more like backpacking tourists than military mercenaries. Sophie's outfit was similar to Doc's, although tailored for a shapely lady. Her only adornment was a pair of star and crescent earrings, which twinkled golden against her purple neck scarf. A flash of light from the forum wall caught Doc's attention. Someone with a telephoto lens just took a picture of us, he murmured. Don't look, ignore it. They reached the museum without further incident. Shortly after 10 a.m., they were meeting Iona Urzan at the Roman period exhibit. She was a tall, dark-haired young woman in blue jeans and a camera vest. Welcome to the remains of Theatria, she said, gesturing to the display cases. After the introductions, she said, I do the tours on Friday. Permit me to practice my English on you. Proceed, Doc said. She directed them to a case displaying coins. Legend has it that money, coinage, was invented in Greece by King Midas of the Golden Touch, by his queen, actually. But coinage really came into use here in Anatolia during the Hellenistic period, when many of the local pagan gods were given Greek counterparts. Here you see coins stamped with the effigies of Heracles, counterpart of the Phoenician milk cart, and Apollo, counterpart of the Lydian sun god Tyremos. 
Sophie interrupted. The patron god of the Mataroot Dyer's Guild. Iona agreed. You have a... St- yes, we have a statuette of him in the next mis- display. He led them to a case displaying a bronze statuette of a horseman with a double-headed battle axe looming over the figurine of a goddess, which she identified as Borlaethony, a counterpart of the Phoenician Astarte. Patron goddess of the purple Murex Dyer's, Sophie commented, Turkish red versus Phoenician purple. Sophie aimed her camera at the display. Is that what you're researching, Dr. Iskandar? Yona asked. The whole history of the Phoenician influence in Anatolia, Sophie replied, perfectly symbolized in those beautiful earrings, Dr. Yona said. Sophie smiled and replied, I'm glad you liked them. I thought they were appropriate for the occasion. Before they had visited all 11 rooms of the museum, Doc suggested setting out for the church and the catacombs. The ancient ruins in the church were visible through a clutter of broken pillars and building stones. Huge walls of rich of huge walls of conglomerate rock, mortared together with a small vaulted with a small vaulted entrance, a door frame with no door. You'll need lights, Iona said. I've got headlamps in the pack. But this will do for now, Doc said, clicking on a powerful tactical flashlight, illuminating a vast, bare interior. A stairwell over there by the north wall leads down to the catacombs, Yona told him. I'll have to leave you now. Please check back with me at the museum when you return. And please photograph artifacts in situ and let us photocopy your notes. Iona, thank you so much for your help, Sophie said. I would like to give you something in return. Would you like these earrings of mine? They were not expensive, but they would look good on you. Oh, I couldn't, she stammered, but Sophie was already pinning them on her. Thank you, Dr. Stander. I'll treasure them. Sophie gave her a hug and they parted. Iona Erzan made her way back toward the museum while Doc was getting his headlines out of the website. The stairwell led down to a wide vaulted gallery with walls that had once been decorated with frescoes, which had since been defaced and overlaid with graffiti. The artwork had been in Byzantine style, showing the haloed Christ and a priestess, obviously the sacred marriage, Sophie said, as she took a panorama of flash photos. It would take six months' work down here to restore this. The vandalism was probably done after Revelation was circulated, Doc suggested. Now, what are we looking for? The tomb of Theotis, she said, gesturing to a dark archway. The vandals might have desecrated it, but I don't think they would have destroyed it. First, they'd have to find it, and it was probably hidden, but I know what to look for. How much do you know about the historical Theotis? Doc asked. Well, that's what we'll find out tonight with the aid of the lamp of truth and the full moon, she replied. I meant how much does Dr. Sophie Iskandar know about the other? Well, he was a physician and a philosopher from the Laodicea here in Anatolia. He converted to Christianity, joined the Laodicean church, mentioned in Revelation. He knew Paul, and later in later life, he mentored young Valentinius. He eventually became the bishop of Theatria. He was the lover and the sponsor of Jezebel. Doc glanced at his watch. It was seven o'clock already. Well, let's try to find the tomb before noon moonrise. 
And speaking of that, how are we going to see the moon down here in the underworld? There's a gallery with a natural skylight, she said, perfect for a sacred dance. Two hours later, they found the tomb of Theotis. The entrance had been plastered over and marked with his monogram, the letter T in a Christian fish symbol. Sophie photoed the monograph before Doc attacked the plaster with his hunting knife, revealing a stone sarcophagus with Theotis' effigy carved on the lid. They slid the lid off with a terrible freaking sound and managed not to drop it with considerable effort. The mummified nude body was intact. The skin shriveled and dark brown. The skull seemed covered with wrinkled parchment. The empty eye sockets were filled with polished crystal balls, which shone in the light from their headlamps. But the most surprising thing about the corpse was it was its erect genitalia. That's not natural, Doc said. The corpse was prepared that way. For a reason, Sophie murmured. Her eyes were wide in a blank stare. She was entranced. She raised her hands in the ancient adoration gesture and chanted. Then reached down into the coffin lifted the phallus up to eye level as she whispered, Isis the Pophist of Cyrus. Doc stood by in amazement. What are we in for tonight, he wondered, as a fleeting vision of necromantic sex magic flashed in the right hemisphere of his brain. That back to where it was, lady. I'm the only one shagging you tonight, he said in a firm voice. Sophie complied with obvious reluctance. The mummified phallus had been reinforced with a bone rod which kept it erect. They took several photos of Theotis before replacing the lid on the sarcophagus and returning the coffin to its niche. I'm going to suggest to the museum that they reseal that tomb, Doc said. That creature is dangerous. He's not a creature, Sophie said. That was Theotis, not the Frankenstein monster. Ah, oh, sweet mystery of life, I found you, Doc sang off the thinking of the Mel Brooks film. Can't you take anything seriously, she huffed. Well, sometimes it's better not to, he responded. It, it got you out of that trance state. And I'm, I'm going to need that trance state tonight. Well, I'm sure you'll manage it, Doc muttered. By 8.30, they, they had found the gallery, a large vaulted chamber with a smooth dirt floor pooled in the light of the rising moon, which shone down through a 20-foot-wide hole in the roof. The fallen debris from the roof had been piled against the wall. By the time Sophie and Doc had set up for the channeling session, Sophie's dance, the moon was shining directly in through the skylight. The lamp of truth was lit and revolving, casting patterns of light on the walls, and Sophie's tape recorder was ready to play belly-dancing music. Doc had also laid out a blanket and rolled up his jacket as a pillow. He placed his pistol and flashlight in easy reach in case of intruders. Sophie was taking her clothes off. Wearing only bells on her ankles and zills on her fingers, she approached and carrying a flask of scented oil. Anoint me, she commanded. My pleasure, Doc said. He poured oil on his palms. As he massaged her from head to foot, he felt her body heat rising. He took his hands away, and he could still feel the heat radiating from her. She stepped back and raised her hands to the moon. O triune goddess, come unto me. 
indwell in this body I offer to thee. Grant me the knowings from all that you see. Tell me the past from what I have been. Give me your secret of what is to be. At her signal, Doc turned on the tape recorder, and the Doombeckies began their staccato beat. She whirled and pranced into the center of the lunar spotlight. The moonlight shone on her body, enhanced with the patterns of light projected by the lamp of truth. She did the traditional belly-dancing floor work with her ninth gate-facing Doc, who reminded himself that the routine was supposed to symbolize childbirth, not an invitation to create one. Sophie was working herself into a mystic trance in which sexual stimulation was part of the induction. Her hands moved across her body, exploring erogenous zones with shameless abandon. Doc had to admit it was certainly arousing, but Sophie's channeling trance wasn't all that was being inspired. Doc was now almost certain that he knew the secret of the lamp of truth. The flickering light patterns on Sophie's tattoos gave him the inspiration. The truth was in the lamp, not in its projection. The recorded music was reaching a climax, and Sophie seemed to be uh, in sync. Uh, she went down on her knees and then collapsed in Doc's embrace. Take me, she demanded in a husky voice, followed by another sound that had Doc reaching for his gun. Applause. Several people were clapping. Bravo, someone shouted. It's Khalil, Sophie stammered. Bright lights shone on them from outside the pool of lunar, lunar illumination. A short burst from a submachine gun chattered at them, and the rounds peppered the wall behind them. A warning shot. Put the gun down, Roland, the voice demanded. Doc complied, putting his browning in easy reach. Now stand up and drop your pants, Kelly ordered. Doc stood up and helped Sophie to her feet. Get dressed, he told her. You stay as you are, darling, Khalil countered. If the professor won't serve you, we will. A fully peripheral lantern now illuminated the entire scene. There were three of Khalil's Palestinians, all armed with submachine guns. One of them held a knife to Iona Roseanne's throat. The hiss of a time fuse galvanized Doc into action. He seized Sophie and brought her down on the blanket. The ear-splitting crack and blinding flash of the flashbang grenade overwhelmed the terrorists while a squad of Turkish Special Forces repelled down from the skylight. Colonel Linda was beside them in minutes. Are either of you hurt? He asked, aside from some hearing loss, I think we're okay, Doc responded. Get her dressed, Linda barked, looking at Sophie as if she were contaminated. What the hell are you two doing down here? Summoning demons, Doc said. There they are. He gestured toward Khalil and his crew who were backing away, still holding the owner with a knife to her throat keeping together in a close knot to make only one target. As the lights flashed on him, Khalil shouted, Don't try to stop us or the girl dies. We'll let him go, Randa said in a low voice. We've got a cookie on the girl, and we've been tracking them. Well, what about us? Any more work to do down here? We can finish it back at the hotel, Doc said. I'll post security for you, Randa said, in case you summon any more demons. Chapter 7, The Revelations of Jezebel. For in and out, above, about, below, tis nothing but a magic shadow show. Played in a box whose candle is the sun, round which we phantom figures come and go, O Markaya. 
Once settled back in the hotel, Doc fixed them each a drink of single malt scotch on the rocks. The fate catered to a European clientele. While Sophie took a shower, she emerged from the bathroom still damp in a white terry cloth robe and sat down beside him on the divan. I hope I didn't wash away all of my visions. I can't remember anything, she said. We may have to do it all over again if Colonel Rendell will provide us security. We'd be pushing our luck. Did you see the look on his face when he saw your body art? I was joking about summoning demons, but he wasn't. No, your visions are still there. We'll discover them with hypnosis. After they finished their drinks and cigarettes, Doc set the lamp of truth on a side table and sat Sophie on a chair facing the lamp, which he lit and set in motion. He took off, took the robe off her shoulders and brought it down to her waist, asking her to sit up straight and breathe deeply while concentrating on the lamp. He then directed her consciousness through her body, starting with her feet up to her pelvis, relaxing all the muscles, tendons, and ligaments, all the way up the backbone to the neck, down the shoulders, arms, and hands, until she was completely relaxed while still sitting erect. He placed his fingertips on the solar symbol of the heart chakra tattooed on her chest and said, Breathe in the golden light of the sun and fill your heart center with the energy. He moved his fingertips down to her solar plexus and now move that golden energy down to the Venus center and the sphere of nature, then down to the sphere of Mercury, his fingers just above her navel, then down to the lunar sphere of memory where the visions are recorded. His fingers stopped just above her sex, for this mesmeristic technique did not involve sexual stimulation. Sophie, are you in? You saw it, Doc asked her. Yes, she murmured. Can you recall your visions from the catacombs? Yes, she replied. What did you learn? I learned that I was responsible for my Lord's death on the cross. Who told you that? Simon, Simon Magus, she blurted out. Explain that to me. I don't understand, Doc said. She was shivering. This was obviously painful to her, and Doc wondered if he ought to release her from his request, but she bravely continued. Simon and Jesus were good friends. They had been fellow students in Alexandria. Simon helped Jesus carry his cross that day, and Simon had asked him, Why are you letting them do this to you? You have the seventh power. You are a more powerful magician than I was, was or ever could be. Why? And my Lord Jesus answered, I gave up the seventh power so that we could have a child. Mary wanted an heir, and I thought Father L would be pleased. But I forgot that my Father in heaven is not the God of the Jews. They have no afterlife. They do, but they don't know it, Simon said. Yahweh the Demiurge keeps them enslaved lifetime after lifetime. Don't make my mistake, Simon. Don't ever lose the seventh power. And this is what Simon reported to me, and I was determined to teach this as the inner secret of the sacred marriage, only to the pneumatics of our faith. Sophie slumped in her chair, and Doc decided to bring her out of the trance. This was enough for one night. The other visions were still there and could be unlocked later. 
and he wanted to see if his own inspiration about the lamp of truth was valid. When she had was recovered, he explained to her what he had, that he'd had his own inspiration during her dance about the lamp of truth, and he wanted to check it out. Get out your photostat of Pastor John's letter and spread it out on the table, he asked her. And while she was doing that, he set about dismantling the lamp and removing the perforated copper cylinder. He very carefully pried it open and spread it out. He used a thick magazine to weight it down and press it flat, revealing a triangle of exactly the same dimensions as the Prester John letter. Voila, Doc exclaimed. A series of words were clearly delineated in the pattern of slots that had been cut in the copper sheet. The lamp of truth had yielded its secrets. Now all we have to do is translate it, Doc said. Sophie moved in close, her robe hung open. Enough work for tonight. It's playtime, she purred. And so ends chapter seven. Now I'd like to mention that the lamp of truth was the illustration for the lamp of truth in the Rubyat of Omar Khayyam, a wonderful illustration of, of the um, of, of the lamp in that particular poetry that headed chapter seven. That that, that the illustration in in Fitzgerald's Khayyam, that's that was the inspiration for the light of truth, and that's why I used it for the preliminary poetry of that chapter. Anyway, that that concludes. Uh, this reading, and, and of course, we will continue. Next week, we'll have a, have another Hermetic Mystery, and, and when I get another chapter of Prester John, we will we'll uncover the other secrets, and we'll be, we'll be on our way to discovering the tomb of Prester John. So stay with us, and we'll see you next week, and good magic. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.